Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Good morning, everybody. Jesus 911, version of Most Powerful Radio, two man car. Ruben and Jesse. Uh, good morning, Jess. How's it going? Reporting for duty, sir. Hey, by the way, uh, just so if you want a little update here in Arizona, they're still counting the ballots. I mean, I, I think they're still going to steal the election, but it's still it's still not over. I, I know some of the news uh, networks have already called it for uh, Katie Hobbs and, and Mark Kelly, but they're still counting. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, uh, miracles do happen. I think they're going to steal it, but uh, they're still counting the ballots. Well, we... They, we need a recount. <laughs> we need a... Oh, of course we do. Hey, what happened with uh, Alex Villanueva? He he lost uh, to the uh, Long Beach... Uh, yeah. Is it a Long Beach and, officer? Uh, yeah, and I think I think he lost he lost by several thousand votes, several hundred thousand votes. So it's something just... The numbers don't seem right, you know? Um, especially with uh, all that he did for the communities out here. Exactly. Hey Ruben, can can you give me an update on the on the recruits uh, from the sheriff's department, the ones that got run over? Um, I'm sure you've been keeping up on it. Do you know anything, any updates on them? And we can say a prayer for them after. Yeah, well, all I know is that uh, uh, the recruits were on a on a run yesterday from uh, Whittier uh, Star Center at the academy, and they came up uh, Telegraph to Mills Avenue, and then where they turned right on Mills, and um, it's a neighborhood, it's a residential neighborhood. Telegraph is, it's kind of commercial there, but there's a, you know, you, you remember the Academy, they always had like a road guard, like a black and white that would come and, and cover them. So there was a black and white, from my understanding at Telegraph and Mills with the lights, you know, flashers going on. So to kind of uh, let the car, oncoming cars know there's you know people in the street, the, the, the the deputies are assuming the cadets are running in formation. So they're running in, in, t- in a tight group. And so the, the black and white hadn't made the turn yet to, to get back in front of the group. And so as they were running up the street, um, I don't know if you've seen it, Jesse, but there was a, someone's like a ring camera was showed the actual, actual uh, accident where the car hits the, uh, the cadets. So it, it appears the car didn't slow down. In fact, some people are saying that the car sped up and, and went. Wow. It's 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 not a big street. So it's like two one lane each way, I believe. And uh, the car came across the lanes and just the only ones who saw it are the people that were in front. So they got out of the way. You know, maybe the road guards are the ones that are leading the, the procession. And they got out of the way. But the people behind it, you know. They weren't. They didn't have enough time to react, and just uh, it just demolished them. Um, and the car hit a, a light pole. You know, maybe that's a fortunate thing because it could have plowed into more people and knocked a light pole down. So that's where you know, people said they heard uh, like two two crashes. It was one was hitting the pole, and the other was the pole hitting the ground. Hmm. But uh, we had, they said something like 25 people were injured and uh, four were critical. Um, you know, another, there's some that have minor injuries. There's a, uh, Sheriff Alex Villanueva said there was an amputee. Wow. Um, 
and and uh, one could be death imminent, uh, one or two. So we have to keep them keep them in our prayers. There's we don't know much about the the, uh, the individual. He, the CHP, t- I guess they did a, a blood t- test on him. He didn't come back with any alcohol, but doesn't mean that he doesn't have drugs in his system. So I have no idea who he is or what he's about. Um, they haven't released those details, I don't think. No, I, I think because if they want to do uh, sometimes, you know, like a warrants and stuff behind them, go go see if you know maybe he had he had it had it in for these deputies or or you know the sheriff's department or the police in general so they have to um investigate that uh ruben just, just putting on my common sense thinking cap here's what it sounds to me like um you have an anti-defund law enforcement individual probably under the influence and a whole lot of people these days are are driving under the influence of marijuana it's, it's, it's because it's legal. Uh, it's legal to smoke and stuff. I, I don't know what they're doing in California in terms of the people that are under the influence of marijuana. But let's just say, you know, this guy was probably some dope fiend, drug addict, uh, faithless, godless pagan who hates law enforcement, especially since the Democrats have been pushing this defund the police for several years. And it was just impulsive. He's driving down the streets. He sees a bunch of recruits running, he says these guys are going to be cops in a couple of weeks. And all of a sudden, his passions take over, his, uh, his, his disordered appetites take over, and he just says, you know what? You know, losers have nothing to lose. That's why they do things impulsively. People that have something to lose and people of faith, you think things through. You say, okay, if I do this, this could happen. If yeah. I do B, this could happen. People that are faithless... Uh, they just they do things on a whim. Oh, there's a bunch of people right now. I hate them. I'm gonna ram them with my car. I'm under the influence right now of this, this, and that, and the other. And uh, that's what I think. So, yeah. Some some God hating, law enforcement hating, pagan drug addict who uh, just impulsively his emotions got the best of him when he saw a bunch of cop uh, future cops running. Yeah, Jess, and there was no. Uh... Sign the sheriff did a, a press conference and he said there was no sign of any skid marks, so he didn't attempt to stop. And I, I don't know, I can't verify this, but uh, uh, friends of ours had said that uh, the deputies would try, they the guy wouldn't come out of the car, they had to bust his window to get him out of the car. So, I again, <laughs> you go. that's not confirmed, you know, okay, it's not confirmed, but anyway, um, it's uh, it's just tragic, you know, all the. These people had uh, their whole futures in front of them, you know, young, young, bunch of young, uh, people. strong people. So that's the, the the only good part is that uh, the you know they're in top shape. These guys uh, are, are young, so if they're gonna they're gonna have a better chance to survive and yeah, rebound from this. Yeah. Then if I got hit with a car, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm already me. hurting. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I don't need to get hit by a car. I'm already. I already got enough problems. Yeah. Hey, so if uh, you want to know what's going on with the with the uh, the complications of the Ukraine war, this is a speech that was given at the Claremont Institute by Christopher Caldwell at Hillsdale College. Excuse me, at Hillsdale College, and uh, <clears throat> we'll make some comments as we go through the paragraphs. And, and uh, as as uh, usual, Hillsdale College knocks it out of the park, according to what we hear from the White House and from television networks. The issues at stake in the Ukraine war are simple. This this sentence is key right here. 
They concern the evil of Vladimir Putin, who woke up one morning and chose, whether out of sadism or insanity, to wreak unspeakable violence on his neighbors. Putin's actions are described as an unprovoked invasion of a noble democracy by corrupt autocracy. How we ought to respond is assumed assumed to be a no-brainer. The United States, get this, the United States has pledged vast quantities of its deadliest weaponry. Can you say Lockheed, Boeing, uh, Northrop, and uh, uh, yeah, the, the industrial war complex. The U.S. has pledged vast quantities of its deadliest weaponry, along with aid that is likely to run into the hundreds of billions of dollars and has brought large parts of the world economy, particularly in Europe, to a standstill. Now, whenever people in power tell you something is a no-brainer, there's a good chance that it is a brainer. Exactly. And the Ukraine war is more complicated than we've been led to assume. Look at this, this sentence here. There are reasons why the U.S. might want to project power into the Black Sea region. But we must not ignore that the politics of the region are extraordinarily complex, that the Ukraine conflict is full of paradoxes and optical illusions, and that the, and that the theater we are entering has been... Over the past 150 years, the single most violent corner of the planet. I didn't know that. Yes. And unless we learn to respect the complexity of the situation, we risk turning it into something more dangerous, both for Europeans and for ourselves. Ruben, go ahead. So uh, let's go into the historic roots of the complex. So Putin, he invaded Ukraine after the U.S. rejected his demand for a guarantee that Ukraine not not join NATO, uh, I think that's a good reason. Uh, the the mm-hmm. I mean the NATO yep. the U.S. if they want to avoid war with 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 Russia, then why not uh, keep Ukraine out of it? We we don't have uh, I'm saying you keep Ukraine out of NATO. We don't have to excuse Putin, but we should note that until quite recently, having Ukraine in NATO was a prospect that struck even many American foreign policy thinkers as a bad idea. These included George Keenan, who was one of the architects of the NATO alliance when the Cold War began in the late 40s, 1940s. And Keenan was still alert and active at about 90 years of age when NATO won the Cold War at the turn of the 1990s. And in 1997, during the Clinton administration, he warned the American plans to push NATO borders smack up to those of Russia was the greatest mistake of the entire post-Cold War era. And then there's John Mearsheimer, professor at the University of Chicago, is a forceful representative of Keenan's viewpoint. Mearsheimer is skeptical of idealistic crusades like the one in Iraq that George W. Bush drew the country into in 2003. He thinks President Bush dramatically overestimated the degree to which the U.S. could spread its values and its institutions. So in light of the, the present events, he especially faults Bush's push to bring the Soviet Union republics of georgia and ukraine into nato in 2008 so a lot of america statement yeah. i agree with that I, statement that, was that by by professor mearsheimer hey okay. uh, jesus 911 uh, ruben and jess we're talking about the historic roots of the conflict in the ukraine we'll be right back we'll give you some more commentary jesus 911 Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, 
Dial 888-526-2151. We are back to Matt Carr, Jesus 911. We're talking about today the complications of the Ukraine war written by a by a, an author, a professor who's, I guess he spoke at, um, he's, he writes, uh, he wrote for Claremont Review of Books and he's also, he's he, he's a Harvard graduate apparently. And he's, he writes, to, uh, what he's doing here is, I've never seen an article this clear, clear. It's so much clarity in this article. It puts things in perspective. So whatever side of the aisle you're on, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of laying it out. Um, but what we were just going into here is the history behind it. And uh, so the uh, the fact is one of the, uh, is it George Keenan, who was one of the architects of the NATO Alliance, he was saying it's, that's the, that's a, a bad idea to get into this, to, to, um, to, to allow the NATO borders to smack up against Russia. That's and, the most important sentence in that paragraph, Ruben, right there. We're, oh, no. we're, we're, it says it's as powerful. He says, Keenan was about 90 years old when NATO won the Cold War at the turn of the 1990s. And in 1997, during the Clinton administration, he warned that Americans' plans to push NATO borders smack up to those of Russia was the greatest mistake of the entire post Cold War era. That's exactly what we're doing right now. This is exactly what Putin is pushing against right now. Let me pick up where you left off. It says, a lot of Americans in government at the time felt the same. One was William Burns, then President Bush's ambassador in Moscow, now President Biden's director of central intelligence. In a memo to Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice, Burns wrote the following. He said, quote, Ukrainian entry into NATO is the brightest of all red lines for the Russian elite, not just Putin. In more than two and a half years of conversations with key Russian players, from knuckle-draggers in the dark recesses of the Kremlin to Putin's sharpest liberal critics, I have yet to find anyone who views Ukraine and NATO as anything other than a direct challenge to Russia's interests. It would be seen as throwing down the strategic gauntlet. That sentence right there says it all. Today's it just, Russia... It's, it's, yeah, it's, it sounds like like poking the bear, Ruben. Some, yeah, he, he's sitting there sticking his finger in their chest. Say, hey, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Unbelievable. This is exactly where uh, uh, Biden has us today. Today's Russia will respond. Russian-Ukrainian relations will go into a deep freeze. It will create fertile soil for Russian meddling in Crimea and eastern Ukraine. In thinking about why this would be the brightest of all red lines, consider why it was that Ukraine why it was that the Ukraine problem didn't get resolved at the end of the Cold War. Russia is a vast country, the largest in the world. It's not so much a country as an empire. Even today, it has dozens of ethnic republics in it. Maybe you've heard of Chechnya or Tatarstan. But have you heard of Tuva or Mariel or the Republic of Saka? Saka is four times the size of Texas, but it disappears inside of Russia. Back in the day, of course, this vast Russian empire was part of another empire, famous, re- famously referred to by Ronald Reagan as the evil empire. That is the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. There were 15 Soviet republics, including Russia, Ukraine, the Baltic states, 
Armenia, and Turkestan. And that bigger empire was part of an even bigger empire, which included the Eastern European captive nations of Poland and Hungary. Look at this paragraph. This was powerful. When communism collapsed in the early 1990s, all these countries found their way to independence. Most of them peacefully, some of them bloodily. But Ukraine, while nominally nominally independent, remained bound to Russia in a number of informal ways, sometimes willingly, sometimes reluctantly. Russia kept kept its Black Sea fleet in Crimea unmolested by Ukraine. Ukraine got cheap gas and desperately needed and, and desperately needed financial assistance, obviously, by Russia. Ruben, go ahead. Yeah. So why has it Ukraine uh, able to make a clean break? Not because it forgot to, not for lack of can-do spirit. It was just a really a hard problem with the possible exception of Latvia. Ukraine was the most Russian of non-Russian Soviet republics. Russian has for a long time been the language of its big cities, of its high culture, and of certain important regions. So if you give a one-word answer to what this Ukraine war is about, you would probably say Crimea. Crimea is a peninsula jutting out into the middle of the Black Sea. It's where the great powers of Europe fought the bloodiest war of the century between Napoleon and World War I. It is a defensive superweapon. The country that controls it dominates the Black Sea and can and can project its military force into Europe, the Middle East, and even steps of Eurasia. And since the 1700s, that country has been Russia. So Crimea has been the home of Russia's warm water fleet for 250 years. It is the key to Russia's southern defenses. Mm. And so Crimea found itself within the borders of Ukraine because in 1954, the year after Stalin died, his successor, Nikita Khrushchev, signed it over to Ukraine. Historians now hotly debate why he did that, but while Crimea was administratively Ukrainian, it was culturally Russian. It showed on several occasions that it was eager to break with Ukrainian rule as Ukraine was to break with Russian rule. So in a referendum in January 1991, 93% of the citizens of Crimea voted for autonomy from Ukraine. In 1994, 83% voted for the establishment of a dual Crimea-Russian citizenship So we'll leave aside the referendum held after the Russians arrived in 2014, which resulted in a similar percentage, but remains controversial. So that seems this seems to me like a a good uh, reason why Russia wants to wants to keep Crimea in there. And uh, and and the people in Crimea want to be part of Russia, it seems. So it's getting interesting. Now, here's where the U.S. comes into the picture. This is look at this paragraph. With the end of communism, Ukraine was beset by two big problems. First, it was corrupt. It was run by post-communist oligarchs in a way that very much resembled Russia. In many ways, Ukraine was worse off. In Russia, Putin, whatever else you may think of him, was at least able to rebuff those oligarchs who sought direct political control. The second problem for Ukraine was that it was divided between a generally Russophile East and a generally Russophile West. It was so divided, in fact, that Samuel Huntington devoted a long section in his book, The Clash of Civilizations, to the border between the two sections. 
Samuel Huntington did not think that the line dividing them was civilizational. He wrote the following quote, If civilization is what counts, the likelihood of violence between Ukrainians and Russians should be low. They are too Slavic, primarily Orthodox peoples who have had close relationships with each other for centuries. Close quote. The U.S. didn't see things that way. It backed the Russophobe Western Ukrainian side against the Russophile Eastern Ukrainian side. This orientation took hold in the Bush administration during the democracy promotion blitz that accompanied the Iraq war. And in 2004, the U.S. intervened. Here it goes. (laughs) So people think that other countries uh, interfere in our elections. We do the same thing. Look at this. Mm -hmm. In 2004, the U.S. intervened in a crooked election helping to sponsor and coordinate the so-called Orange Revolution. But the pivotal moment, the moment when the region began to tip into violence, came in early 2014 under more dubious circumstances. Yeah. We've been meddling in other countries' elections for years, Jesse. So what makes anyone think that they can't do it here in our country? Exactly. Yeah. Go ahead. So, so the previous year, Ukrainian diplomats had negotiated a free trade deal with the European Union that would have cut out Russia. Russia then outbid the European Union with its own deal, which included $15 billion in incentives for Ukraine and continued naval basing rights for Russia and Ukrainian President Viktor Yanukovych. And, and he signed it, the president of Ukraine. U.S.-backed protests broke out in Kiev's main square, the Maidan, and in cities across the country. According to a speech made at the time by a State Department official, the U.S. had by that time spent $5 billion to influence Ukraine's politics. And considering that Ukraine had a lower per capita income than Cuba, Jamaica, or Nambia, $5 billion could buy a lot of influence. An armory was raided, shootings near the Maidan left dozens of protesters dead. Yanukovych fled the country and the U.S. played the central role in setting up a successor government. That the U.S. would meddle with Russia's vital interests this way created problems almost immediately. Like every other Ukrainian government, like every Ukrainian government since the end of the Cold War, Yanukovych's government was corrupt. Unlike many of them, it was legitimately elected and U.S. helped to overthrow it. Uh, you know, you know, Trump used to always talk about how corrupt uh, Ukraine was and we see that, that that was the focal point of, uh, of Hunter Biden's, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of his scandal that was going on with his laptop. And uh, so this is getting this is getting interesting, Jesse. So uh, that was the point when Russia invaded Crimea, took over, might be a better description because there was no loss of life due to military operation. You can call this a brutal and unprovoked invasion or a reaction to American crowding. We cannot read Putin's mind, but it would not be evidence of insincerity or insanity if Putin considered the Ukrainian coup or uprising a threat. That is what military historian of the region would have said. Any any military historian of the region would have said. Yeah. At the turn of the 20th century, the the strategist H.J. Mackinder called the expanse north of the Black Sea the geographical pivot of history. Big new uh, Berzenzinski, who served as a secretary of state in the Carter administration, 
Use the same pivot metaphor to describe Ukraine in his post-Cold War book, The Grand Chessboard. He said, without Ukraine, Russia ceases to be a Eurasian empire. The danger to Russia in 2014 was not just the loss of Russia's largest naval base. It was that that naval base would be acquired by the world's most sophisticated military power, a power that had shown itself to be Russia's enemy and that now and that, that would now sit with all its weaponry at Russia's gateway to the world. When Russians describe Ukrainian membership in NATO as a mortal threat to their country's survival, they are being sincere. American and European leaders, although they deplored the Russian occupation of Crimea, seem to understand that a Russian-controlled Crimea created a more stable equilibrium and was more to the natives' liking than a Ukraine-controlled Crimea. President Obama mostly let sleeping dogs die, so did President Trump, but they also made large transfers of advanced weaponry and military know-how to Ukraine. As a result, over time, a failed state defended by a ramshackle collection of oligarch-sponsored militias turned into the third largest army in Europe, right behind Turkey and Russia, where the quarter of a million men under arms will continue this. Jesus 911, Jess Romero, Ruben Alvar, talking about what's going on in Ukraine. Great analysis by this professor from Hillsdale College. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. We are back, Jesus 911. To my car, and we're talking about the Ukraine war and uh, some of the problems that uh, that are going on there. Hey, Ruben, it's and... a lot more complicated than what you hear the left saying, Ukraine good, Russia bad. There's a lot more to it than that <laughs> yeah. simplistic sentence. And uh, this professor from uh, who gave a lecture uh, 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 at Hillsdale College, uh, and this lecture is, is on the Internet. It's on Imprimus. Um, it's, uh, he basically parses a lot of the details of Ukraine and Russia historically, and he reports the facts. You decide uh, you know, where you come on in this debate. I know where I come on this debate. I come on Jesus' side on this debate. Okay, uh, This last section, he says, Then on November 10th last year, Secretary of State Antony, Antony Blinken signed a strategic partnership with Ukraine. It not only committed the U.S. to Ukraine's full integration into NATO and also stressed Ukraine's claim to Crimea, this was hubris, which means pride or arrogance. Now the Black Sea's region's problems in all their complexity, risk being thrown into our laps. So again, Blinken admits that, uh, you know, what we've done here at this point, because we're fighting Russia in a proxy war through Ukraine. And uh, again, just remember the last president, President Trump, we were friends with all these world powers. And, uh, you know, Mr. I've been a senator for 50 years and a vice president and I'm the best diplomat, I'm the best uh, foreign relations uh, politician on the Hill. This guy got us into a war within a year a year of being president, Ruben. Remember they, they were uh, t- saying that, oh, you can't trust Trump with the, you know, with uh, nuclear uh, codes and, and he's going to get us into wars and this and that. It, he didn't get us into one war and uh, <laughs> not even two years. And we're, <laughs> we're, we're deep into uh, this ter- ter- Ukraine. Uh, Ruben, Ruben, even... Trump Trump even called up a terrorist on the phone and had a conversation with him. 
And that was a funny conversation. She says, what, what was his name? Hamid or Habib or something like that? He says, hey, I know where your house is at. Okay, we got satellites. Ha, ha, Habib, Habib. Okay. I mean, that's <laughs> diplomacy. Talking, He talked down to terrorists, and these guys just, okay, you know, we want no problem with this guy. Go ahead, Ruben. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so our problems in Ukraine. When Russia invaded uh, the U.S., stood by its potentially future ally by without but without much sense of proportion and seemingly without much attention to the stakes. Let us conclude by discussing the complex military, economic, and political problems we face in dealing with the Ukraine war. Here's, first of all, the military problems. Um, The author says, I'm not competent to predict who's going to win this war, but given that Russia is much more powerful than Ukraine, both economically and militarily, the need for U.S. assistance will be immense and indefinite, no matter the war's outcome. Keeping Ukraine in this war has already come at a high cost in weapons for the U.S. and at a high cost in lives for Ukraine. Without our assistance, Jesse, the, the Ukraine would be wiped out already. And there's no doubt. And the U.S. is not just supporting Ukraine. Right. Yep. It's, yeah. it's fighting a war in Ukraine's name. So the U.S. is fighting a war in Ukraine's name. From early in the, uh, early in the war, we have provided targeting information for drone strikes on Russian generals and missile attacks on Russian ships. Since this summer, the U.S. has been providing Ukraine with M142 HIMARS, HIMARS, computer-targeted rocket artillery systems. Ukrainians may still be doing most of the dying, but the U.S. is responsible for most of the damage wrought by Russian troops. And um, there's, you know, you hear once in a while, they're not going to admit it, but uh, that we do have some boots on the ground. Uh, and we're, you know, that's not something that... Uh, you know, most Americans want. This is a war with no natural stopping point. One can easily imagine scenarios in which winning might be more costly than losing. Should the U.S. pursue the war to ultimate victory, taking Crimea and admitting an ambivalent Ukraine into NATO, it will require a Korea-level military buildup to hold the ground taken. It will also change the West. The U.S. for the first time will have expanded NATO by conquest occupying territories, Crimea, Crimea and parts of eastern Ukraine that don't want it there. So, yeah, it's going to take uh, you holding the ground that you took, and 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 that that's going to be pretty much forever, you know. So this is not – I don't think the, Biden's smart enough to think this thing through. Um, so No, he, ho- he obviously hadn't. Ruben, and not only that, I've, I've, I've looked to see what country has most nuclear warheads – Russia has a, uh, a little over 6,000 nuclear warheads. The U.S. comes in number two. We have a little over 5,000 nuclear warheads. Then all the other countries come in, in succession. But the point that I'm making is that this is, this is mutually assured destruction. Uh, and uh, once again, the Democrats were, were touting Biden as the smartest foreign relation politician because he'd been on the hill for 50 years and uh that could i mean that's the furthest thing from the truth yeah this guy is is not only the worst president in our lifetime but uh even one of barack obama's uh you know top advisors that was on uh, obama's cabinet they asked him about joe biden he says hey uh don't uh don't be uh, surprised that Joe Biden blanks everything he touches. Let's talk about yeah. the economic problems here. 
American yeah. policymakers have launched an unprecedented type of economic warfare against Russia. Yeah, guess what, guys? And we're paying for it. Uh, you know, every one of us is paying for it. The article says they expect to be just as effective as battlefield warfare, but to generate none of the hard feelings. At American urging, Russia has been cut off from the private but universal Brussels-based SWIFT system, which is used for international financial transfers. And the U.S. has frozen the hard currency reserves of the Russian Central Bank, roughly $284 billion. Long-term, these actions carry risk for the U.S. Our economic power, particularly the the dollar's status as a reserve currency, which permits us to sustain deficits that would bankrupt others, depends on our carrying out our fiduciary responsibilities to international institutions. Remembering that the money we are managing is not ours. If you're a banker who pockets his depositors' money, those depositors will look for another bank. The danger to the United States is that not only Russia, but also China and India will set up alternative systems through which to move their money. They're already doing that, Jess, and, and Iran's involved in it, too. They're going to have their own currency, apparently. So, it's good. Ruben, all the, I can the, tell you is uh, uh, I miss the orange guy. That's all I can tell you. Orange, <laughs> I miss him, Ruben. Yeah, even his mean, you. mean tweets. Mean tweet, <laughs> orange man, I miss that guy. <laughs> yeah, me too. So, political problems. Finally, we should have learned from the latter stages of George W. Bush's administration that it is hard to build a forceful foreign policy on top of a wobbly domestic mandate. This is especially true of Biden's administration, which seems unable to distinguish between domestic policy and foreign policy. At the one-month mark after the Russian invasion, for instance, the White House sent a message in which President Biden proclaimed his commitment to those affected by the Russian invasion. Quote, especially vulnerable populations such as women, children, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and intersex LGBTQI plus persons and persons with disabilities. Now, why does he have to say all that? You know, women and children. How about human beings? How about Americans? (laughs) Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, Jesse, but that's still, that's uh, also a slap in the face to, to Russia because, you, you know, they, they don't, I'll let you flaunt all that stuff over there in Russia. So uh, it's crazy what's going on. Uh, Parson Biden seems to view Russia's conflict with Ukraine as one of autocross, auto, autocracy versus democracy. The same framework he used to describe MAGA Republicans in his military, militaristically choreographed Philadelphia speech in early September. Yeah, he was talking about you, Jesse. Um, we should not overestimate, overestimate how much Americans know or care about Russia and Ukraine. In, in August, the Pew Center re- published a study listing the top 15 issues motivating voters in the 2022 elections. Here are those issues in order. The economy, guns, crime, health care, voting rules, education, the Supreme Court, abortion, energy policy, immigration, foreign policy, big government climate change, race and ethnicity, and the coronavirus. Ukraine doesn't even appear on the list, and generic foreign policy didn't make the top 10. That doesn't look like a level of voter buy-in insufficiency, insufficient for running such a big economic and military risk. Go ahead. God help us. A dispassionate and honest discussion of Vladimir Putin's conduct through the years would find much to criticize. Unfortunately, 
Putin's name has been dragged into American politics primarily for the purpose of discrediting the presidency of Donald Trump. And the main thing Americans were told about Putin, that he and Trump colluded to steal the 2016 U.S. election. It turned out to have no basis in fact. But by the way, as we've seen, the U.S., we do the same with other countries as well. By the way, again, but Putin had nothing to do with the 2020 election. That's that's a, that's a, that's a fact. 2016 Since, election. Uh, 2016. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Ruben. Since then... Congress has become as much an investigative body as a legislative chamber. Should Republicans end up with a majority in one or both of the houses of Congress, which they've uh, they've got Congress now, and it looks like uh, you know, it looks like they're energized, which is good. It looks uh, it looks like it's going to be a new day. Uh, there's a glimmer of of, of light out there, but uh, it would not be surprising now that the Republicans have Congress. If they investigated the allegation that President Biden's family enriched itself by trading on his name, the Biden name, with corrupt foreign elites, most prominently those in Ukraine. Something also very interesting. uh, We'll pick it up on the next uh, segment. I also read that Ukraine uh, has uh, more occult activity, Satanism and witchcraft than any other country in Europe. Uh, Ukraine is also uh, a hotbed of uh, uh, Nazis, neo-Nazis. And so it's funny, the left is always talking about, oh yeah, we hate Nazis. Well, anybody that's approached Ukraine, I can tell you this, Ukraine is the the basically uh, the the epicenter of the neo-Nazis over in Europe. We'll be right back, Jesus 911. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So we've got to keep that in mind. That Jesus, that's our answer, Jesse. It's none of this politics. Uh, no, exactly. Reuben, the, the answer is, is the, 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 the social kingship of Jesus Christ uh, the answer it was it was I think it was Pope Pius X wrote, wrote a uh, an encyclical where he said the the reason that there are manifold evils that exist amongst the nations and and in, and in people is because men and nations have thrust Jesus Christ out of their hearts. In other words, Pope Pius X said that the only way we could have the cessation of war and actually world, world peace and people could live in harmony is if every person and every nation would accept Jesus Christ as Lord and King into their heart. That's called the, that's called the social kingship of Christ. And on, on just on kind of the good news side, I just read over the weekend that the governor of Oklahoma, who's not even Catholic, by the way, he's an evangelical Protestant, he consecrated the state of Oklahoma to Jesus. And by the way, Obviously, he has Catholic influence because Protestants don't consecrate things to Jesus. That's not that's not a Protestant practice. That's not a Protestant tradition. So obviously, the governor from Oklahoma has some good Catholic boys in his ear. And since he's a Jesus loving Protestant, they said, since you have patriarchal authority because you're the governor and God honors your authority over the state of Oklahoma, you have the power to consecrate Oklahoma to Jesus. And so he did. 
And so, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's that's a that's glimmer good. of that's a glimmer of hope right there, Ruben. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I think I think uh, you're right about the the social kinks of Jesse, but I think that was Pius the Eleventh. Okay, okay, I, I'd have to yeah. look it up. It was one of the Piuses. Yeah, <laughs> about a hundred right. years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, where are we at here? The, I think the uh, the largest problem America yeah. faces is is distrust both at home and abroad. Thus far, the war's most important world historical surprise has been the failure of the U.S. to rally a critical mass of what it used to call the world community to punish Russia's contestation contestation of the American-led world world that order. A, that was a powerful sentence, and I think that's where most Americans are are right now. We believe that there is a, a lot of us believe, for example, Ruben, that Zelensky has Biden's crime family. He has them dirty. And so this is basically shut up money by Biden because Biden banks in the Ukraine. Uh, a lot of the Democrat politicians bank in the Ukraine. And uh, you, they also have uh, uh, information to all of uh, Hunter Biden's laptop information. And so it seems to me that this is this is uh, extortion money. You know, you got to keep on giving us money to fund this war, and we'll keep our mouth shut about uh, the Biden crime family. That's what, what it seems like to most people. And just what's coming out now is with that, uh, you know, that Bitcoin company FTX. It, it lost billions of dollars. So uh, the the CEO has uh, taken people's money and it, it looks like we're paying so the the way it, it goes is that we pay our taxes go to uh to help uh the government or the government takes our money then the the government sends our money to the ukraine then ukraine is sending and, and washing the money through ftx and then ftx is funneling it back to the democratic party because this mm-hmm. guy from uh the uh, ceo of ftx he uh, he has a huge donor, second largest donor to George Soros is what it's it's wow. what we're finding out, and so they funded um, the 2022 campaign with the, with that FTX money, and so that if they we had any kind of uh, DOJ, uh, you know, we had a, the Attorney General with with some kind of with, with that was on the right um, is sitting on the right side of the, of the law, they would have. They're going to have to invest this, investigate this company. This is just as all it is is washing the money, and um, it's coming back, funneling it back to the Democratic Party, and um, it's it's criminal. This is it's the biggest fraud I believe that you in uh, probably in our lifetime you're going to yeah, see this. Yeah, this. this is in part how they funded Democrat elections all over the country. Is uh, yeah. it was that big, uh, you know, that that, that uh, large, sizable check that Biden sent over to the Ukraine, that bill that he signed and uh, what they've done, of course they kept a portion of the money and uh, they kicked back some of the money individually to, to races here, races there. And this is why the Democrats had an enormous war chest because it was basically our tax money that was given back to the Democrats. Yeah. Once uh, Biden sent it over to the, uh, uh, to Zelensky. And so, yeah, Ruben, this is, this is horrible the way uh the way the the uh, the incredible corruption that's playing out with our money our tax money uh this is this is unconscionable mm-hmm. 
Uh, so going on, it's uh, in the past few decades, the U.S. has developed a method of intervention against those it considers ideological adversaries. The U.S. first expresses moral misgivings about a country and then tries to rally other countries to pressure it economically and to isolate it until it relents. This time, India and China did not join us in isolating Russia. It seems they fear that this same machinery can easily be cranked up against them if they're not careful. And in fact, it is being cranked up against China. That was an important Another, paragraph you just read. That paragraph was the, almost the, the essence of the article right there. That last paragraph yeah. that you just shared. If anybody wants to read this, go to vmpr.org, vmpr.org, or go to my website, jesseromero.com, jesseromero.com. Uh, it's worth reading. The, uh, this, it's called Complications of the Ukrainian War. It's by Imprimus, by Christopher Caldwell. Complications of the Ukrainian War. It's probably the best analysis that I've read so far, Ruben. We got one more paragraph or two, two, two small paragraphs. Yep. Just yep. Go ahead. Another factor is surely that after the Iraq war, other countries have less trust in the judgment of the U.S. as to which territories are likely to be suitable candidates for spreading democracy. Yeah. When, when, when uh, other countries hear, here comes the U.S., they're going to spread democracy. I mean, they just run for the hills. It's a, yeah. it's a disaster every time we use that plan. Last paragraph. Finally, the big transformation that has been predicted for a generation now that power would shift from the U.S. and Europe to Asia and other places is now measurably underway. In the 1990s, between the Gulf, the Gulf War and the, and the Iraqi War, the U.S. and its Western European allies controlled 70% of the world GDP. That number is now 43%. The West still does relatively well but not so well that it, that it can count on the rest of the world to rally behind it automatically. Whether in victory or defeat, Americans may be about to discover that you cannot run a 20th century foreign policy with a 21st century society. Well said. Uh, I'll tell you one thing, Ruben, it looks to me, I don't know, it looks to me like, just from a Catholic point of view, that uh, Pope Francis's ru uh, consecration of Russia and Ukraine to the Immaculate Heart, to me, it doesn't seem to have worked. <laughs> I'm not yeah, saying no, it's objectively yeah. speaking. Things seem to be worse now th than before. And uh, and so I'm just saying for those of us that had any hopes that the and I think that the I think the consecration was done too late. I think Sister Lucia said it will be done, but it will be done too late. I think it was just done too late. It, you know, it bypassed, what, six or seven popes. And once again, uh, Ukraine's also released information on Biden linking him to money a money laundering scheme. And so they, they have Biden dirty, Ruben. But yeah. uh, I think somebody who's given us kind of a good overview, if you want to see a good overview of, the, of this war, Archbishop Vigano, he actually says that the war's been fomented in Ukraine to establish the tyranny of the new world order. And Archbishop Vigano says, the Ukrainian people, regardless of what ethnic group they may belong to, are merely the latest unwitting hostages of the supra-national supra totalitarian regime that brought the national economies of the entire world to their knees through the COVID deception. So again, he sees this war as part of Something much bigger, the new world order is behind us. He calls the new world order the the uh, the uh, implementation of of, of uh, communism uh, in, into the into the West. 
Yeah, one hundred percent. That's a good analogy. I mean, that's a good uh, point that he's taking because that's that's what they're trying to do. This our country, they're they're aligned with all these other uh, powers, and with this uh, the one world order people, you know, and uh, the the Schwab and all those people that are trying to have a you know a super superpower, and um, it's it's terrible what we're seeing going on in, in the Ukraine, all our money. I can't, I don't know anybody that thinks this is, this is a, a good thing to be involved in. Maybe initially they were saying, Oh, those poor people. But, uh, I, w- we just keep dumping loads of money in there and it's, that's not the answer. So he, it's, ba- and, and then, it's basically, it's, sh- it's basically shut up money. Exactly. And then the other thing too, they, they just, they were ready to go to war with Russia saying that, uh, Poland, one of the Russia's missiles landed in Poland and killed some people. And it turns out, uh, you know, it was, it was the uh, Ukrainian uh, misfire. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny. Um, that was the fake news uh, saying all day yesterday, is yeah. Russia, Russia, they, Russia, yeah, they, two missiles of Poland. They, they showed this picture. Uh, there's a meme that shows uh, that, that, you know, that picture, uh, Alec Baldwin, who, who uh, accidentally shot that uh, lady on the, on the movie set, Alec Baldwin, they have a picture of Alec Baldwin holding a, like a big bazooka. We found out who shot the, who shot the, that missile into Poland. Was, and that's still in the question whether he shot if he shot her uh, by accident. I'm, I'm not yeah. fully I'm not convinced. Uh, well, I'll tell you one thing we know about Ukraine. It's a woke nation. And uh, Zelensky, uh, he's more than likely a homosexual. If you look at a lot of his videos, just type in Zelensky gay or, or Zelensky admires Trudeau. And uh, you tell me if he's not a homosexual. Also, Ukraine is involved in in um, in embryonic stem cell research, abortion, baby parts. Uh, they're also the largest practitioner of the occult in Europe. Witchcraft, Satanism. They are the largest practitioner of the occult in Europe. They also have the largest witches' covens in Ukraine. And they're also basically headquarters... For the new neo-Nazi movement, I don't know, Ruben. I, I don't know a lot of good things. Good things to say about this country. I hope this war is over real soon for the sake of all of us, because yeah. this is mutually assured destruction at the rate we're going. That's right. Well, trust in Jesus, lay prayer rosaries, and uh, we're still in the month of uh, November, so those holy souls live in a state of grace. Place. Yes, live in a state of grace. All right, you've been listening to Jesus nine one one. Turning it over to Gary Mashuda with Hands-On Apologetics in the Midwest Command Center. Thank you for your uh, for listening. We'll be back. Yes, he'll be back tomorrow. God bless. Keep the faith. We're 10-8. I'm 10-7. Out. Oh.